that. Um, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Paths Uncovered, the podcast where we get to go through untraditional pathways within and inside of technology, um, within and inside, into and within technology. I don't know words anymore, but we're here, we're diving in. Um, today's guest I've got with me, Loren Legasig. Uh, the two of us, I actually could not for the life of me sitting here remember how we possibly crossed paths. And I think it was just Twitter. And then we just ended up like helping out with like meetups here and there. But I'm very excited to have you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, do you want to do a very quick introduction to yourself and what you do and what you're about? That'd be great. Okay, no worries. Uh, so uh, my name is Loren. Uh, <laughs> and um, I am currently a, a consultant lead product engineer. Um, I've been working for myself for a couple of years, kind of on, on and off now. Um, and I specialize in accessibility. So that is what I do for work. And what I do for fun is uh, I am also a co-organizer of a meetup group called Tech Leading Ladies, uh, which is a group supporting supporting women into and helping bridge the gap in uh, uh, gender gender diversity and leadership positions in tech um, and I have two lovely co-founders as well I love that and I think um, a really big part of where I really wanted you to come onto this was because I don't think I'd had anyone that was like freelancing or working for themselves on the podcast at all and I was like it's such an interesting pathway and I'm like I think it's one of those like really fearful ones where I'm like oh my god the fear of like not having the job stability or like something backing me up freaks me out sometimes when I talk to other people too. So I'm like very excited to hear how we got to everything. Uh, so let's dive in. We dive in usually all the way back into kind of high school, like times of like college. What was the plans? What were the original thoughts of like, mm, this is what I want to do? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question, which is probably what everyone else says after you, after you get started with high school. Um, so I went to high school in a small town called Harvey Bay. It's about three and a half hours drive north of Brisbane, Australia. Um, and uh, nothing, nothing, nothing too different to, to probably a lot of other people's kind of general high school experience, all the teenage angst and all the trying to work out who you are and what you want to do. Um, and uh, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, I spent a lo- I was very lucky. My parents spent a lot of time kind of trying to push me towards making a decision. <laughs> um, and I remember this this moment that um, I had to pick what I wanted to do at university. And uh, we went to the news agent and bought, I don't know if you know of the Good Guides book, this like really thick book, um, actually made of paper. <laughs> um, and... Uh, it had listed every single university, every single university course, what is, what do you need to get in and a bit of information about what is involved in the course and kind of career prospects afterwards. And, um, and uh, I had always been kind of interested in computers and stuff. Um, so my father uh, is visually impaired. He, he's um, fully blind now, um, but while I was growing up, he was, he was losing his vision over time. And so I spent a lot of time uh, because he was an engineer, an electrical engineer, kind of spent a lot of time helping him with his stuff and helping him to learn how to use a computer as a, um, as he was losing his vision um, and the, and the tools involved like a screen reader and things um, 
in that. So uh, I was kind of always around technology. Um, and uh, so I would also help him solder circuit boards and things like that. So that was that was probably what played a big part in, in my decision. Um, so I opened up this book and and uh, had no idea what I wanted to do and basically just found the coolest sounding degree, which was mechatronic engineering. I had no idea what any of those words meant. Uh, Honestly, it does sound like the coolest thing I've ever heard. It also just kind of weirdly reminds me of like Power Rangers for some reason. Exactly. I was fully into anime at the time. So I was like, this sounds like Transformers. This is good to be good. Uh, so it was sort of related. It was it was a, um, a mix of mechanical, electrical and computer engineering. And um, so it was it was uh, robotics kind of oriented, which was which was cool. Um, that's a lie, actually. I wanted to be an artist, but my parents wouldn't let me. <laughs> So I had to put that one down. So I had to pick something. <laughs> I want to be an animator. I wanted to work like for Pixar or Disney or something. Oh my god! Uh, because I spent a lot of lot of time drawing. That's actually so up. interesting to me. Number one, because Julia Gent, who was on probably the week before this, um, the last episode before this one, it was exactly the same. She's super into cards. Her whole family's into arts, but also she's just like her parents are like, no, <laughs> no, no, Julia. <laughs> We've had enough. Don't do it. <laughs> get a degree. Get a proper degree. Like get a job prospects. Um, and then the other thing Would you just like mentioned. you like to make money? Exactly the money part. Like how are you going to pay bills? Um, yeah. But then the other thing you just mentioned about Disney or Pixar. Sorry, this is such a tangent. But like I was watching um, something on Disney Plus. I think it was about how they created the rides at Disneyland. Like how they actually came up with the ideas and stuff behind it. Very cool show. Like such an interesting thing. Especially if you've been to some of them and you're like, oh, that's the yeah, like the story behind it's so, it. It was like Imagineering. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, I'm sorry. If I ever knew as a child that that's what I would have been called as a profession, that I was a Disney Imagineer, there would have been no other pathway. Like, I'm sorry, that's, that's all I would be doing. Like, it just sounds so cool. So, which is where, like, you mentioned the whole, like, you wanted to work with Disney and Pixar. I'm like, it makes sense. They're pretty cool companies, not going to lie. Probably still would like to work for them if I could. Okay. If I can call myself an Imagineer, I'm in. Sorry, that was a very uh, good tangent, but you're in college, no, you've just selected it. the degree you won. <laughs> well, other way wanted other than Pixar, but yes. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I um, I got into to engineering and, and with a whole bunch of friends from my high school as well, we all decided to do engineering together. Um, and so I went to university in, in Brisbane, the University of Queensland. So we all moved out of home and kind of rented in share houses or stayed in stayed in colleges together. So it was really, really nice to kind of have that um, traveling group. Uh, so yeah. these are all like, um, and yeah, so it was it was quite a while ago. So the group was mainly made of, I think I was the only woman, the group was like all these dudes that I used to play video games with. So um, it was nice to kind of have that starting group, but it was a, it was a reflection of, I guess, the, the diversity of that like STEM and engineering and, and computer science at the time. Yeah. Um, and it didn't get much better while I was going through uni. So I was, I think, uh, our graduating class was maybe 30 or 40 people. And I think by the end of it, there were maybe two or three women left. Um, so, and there weren't that, that many to start with either. So yeah, it was a bit of a kind of a, uh, um, I guess, early early story into, in that, that kind of flows all the way through my journey in terms of getting involved in diversity and women who code and, and things that I will talk about later. Yeah. 
No, that makes complete sense. And I think we had something similar. Like, I think it's changed a little bit. So when I started college, there was one in five, I think. So it was like 12 out of the 60 in our year. Um, so we did maths, like when we started. It was like straight out, just a maths degree. Um, and there was more girls in our year of first year than there was in the three years combined. Like the other, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, Okay. So like if you're going to things like Matt's ball or things like that, like we would joke about how it's like, oh, like do people wear like long dresses or sure? And we're like, we're the majority. We can make up our mind. Like whatever we do, <laughs> it'll work. <laughs> we set the trends here. <laughs> but in fairness, like I think year, uh, the year after year, um, kind of following along to us, um, the numbers were steadily increasing. So I think we were consistently getting smaller and smaller majority, which is great to hear. We're like, yes, even better. Like younger ones coming through. But like I think... I fully understand that definitely not at the level you probably went through where at least um, there's a good level of us around and um, there's a good group of us around that are still friends um, but yeah god I don't know how that all went so like yeah actually do talk to me about that how did that all go like how was the four year, four years three years of engineering oh funny I spent seven years so <laughs> I thought four I was just torture. couldn't leave I <laughs> know <laughs> So uh, I uh, did the, I thought it was a good idea at the time, but I went, all right, so I'm, oh, I still have like, I, I don't think I'm that interested in engineering or I would um, kind of keep myself uh, motivated by doing a dual degree with arts where I can like pick whatever I want. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I um, yeah, I started off with, with doing a double degree uh, which was only meant to take five and a half, so I, I took my time. <laughs> uh, I just couldn't leave, and um, and uh, that plan didn't work out so well because my friends kind of uh, sped ahead in the degree because they were doing um, a single degree. Some of them were doing a double degree as well, uh, a single degree, and so all the help... Uh, that I wanted for like assignments and stuff and working with people I knew in class that was that all those plans fell through so I kind of um regretted doing a double degree because because yeah I didn't kind of have that cohort to go go through with yeah um uh though I did kind of at the end kind of pack all my engineering stuff together and then do my arts um afterwards because I I realized that that was happening I'm like oh I want, I want friends to want friends to kind of work on assignments with uh, luckily some of them would have done the course like a year before and would help me with <laughs> assignments and stuff but um yeah that was that was one of the big parts of my experience and I think um it was it was tough I think I was always kind of a pretty high performer at high school um i got an op1 uh which translates to i think the the atar uh 99 98 i'm not sure what the what the translation is now but um and and uh so i was so studious in high school and, and studied and and um but when i got to uni um and this links to uh i think Linda MacGyver, who you just interviewed, yeah, um, Doctor Doctor Linda's books of like how broken the education system was in high school. That uh, so I realized not very long ago actually that yeah, school teaches you how to pass tests, 
<laughs> doesn't actually teach you how to be very good at problem solving or like thinking outside the box or or like asking good questions and, and questioning things. So um, highly recommend reading Raising Heretics. I'm sure you've already spooked the spooked the heck out of it. <laughs> um, life changing book. So yeah, I realized that once I got to uni and I had to kind of um, while it's not too much better than high school, that you did have to kind of learn things that were applying to real life and, and kind of think for yourself and a lot of problem solving as well. Um, uh, and still studying to, to how to pass tests. So, um, uh, the, uh, I didn't do so great at uni. I like started off pretty strong in the kind of first year courses where uh, yeah, it's a lot of preliminary stuff, it's memorization, you sit the exam, you pass the exam, you, you move on. Um, and then, uh, I don't know about you, Akanksha, in those kind of courses where um, you memorize stuff for the exam, you completely forget it for the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm like listening to this and I'm like, exactly the same experience. I think which... It goes to a lot of people who end up doing STEM because they've obviously done fairly well in those subjects in high school, right? Which is just so, so different to what it actually is. And especially for something like maths, where maths is like actual numbers in the school and you're like, oh yes, this makes sense. There's no numbers in college. It's everything's just abstracted. And I'm like, yeah. what have I done? Like, what is this? <laughs> well, it's like... Am, was I smart? Am I? Am I oh, the absolute like <laughs> syndromes that go through like, and especially, and that was the thing, right? Where because I'm sure it was kind of similar as well for you, where like the degree that I ended up going into it was such a um, mm -hmm. like the cutoff was so high, like to get into it, like it was all very much everyone was the big fish in their ponds before they came in, and now it's just like I am such a tiny fish in this pond. What the hell have I done? It, I mean, there was people who won like the gold medals and stuff are every single subject in like are leaving certain year 12 exams and I'm sitting there and I'm like I thought I, thought I was good this was such a lot what have I done with my whole life like what do we do now it's yeah no I fully exactly the same yeah yeah and I got to uni and I like took so long because I couldn't even count credits properly I did the wrong number of credits and couldn't graduate it's like what am I doing here how did I get this far in life anyway <laughs> Um, so yeah, I I, um, I really struggled through through the subjects that had like real life problems and and like um, and and I guess real skills in in the engineering side of things. It's just like oh my goodness, this this is hard. This is really hard. I can't just memorize it and then move on because the next course assumes you know all that stuff, and then you gotta um, so you actually have to understand it. Uh, I think. Anyway, I, I managed to pass, but um, like high school me would have been so disappointed with, with the grades that university me got. Yeah. But by the time I was like drinking and partying, I didn't really care that much anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, and, and, and you realise once you get to the workplace that none of that matters. Nobody cares. It's I guess weird... like applying for a job, but... Yeah, <laughs> but like, it's, it is so weird, isn't it? Like as in... It didn't matter. There was definitely people who were like, mm, it doesn't matter what you end up doing. Like, it's fine. You're doing an undergrad. Like, the whole degree is about figuring yourself out. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. No one cares about what you actually learn. And I mean, the amount of people that told me that and people not in college told me this. Like, these are people who have gone out and experienced this in firsthand real life. And yet, it was not something I could ever believe. 
where it really like the degree mattered so much in that like I kept struggling I kept not doing the best my high school self was extremely disappointed like and do you know what you said about like the fact that you want like the people around you helping like we say that all the time as well about our degree we're like that piece of paper is not like an individual achievement it was like a group effort to get that degree like all together it's just it's just so interesting and now I see it and I'm like oh it really really does not matter and my sister who's now in college in that process and I'm like actually it doesn't matter cannot believe it either because yeah, <laughs> like, it's just I such a big thing yeah. when you're in it like it's just <laughs> impossible to think that like you're like of course it matters <laughs> yeah so yeah I really wish that I was able to get into the headspace to actually understand um what what I was learning in and kind of explore it a bit more and have a bit more fun with it and play around with it yeah. rather than just focus on the focus on the exams um and but it yeah at least I know what to google now sometimes <laughs> yep <laughs> but I really enjoyed it it was it was a it was a really great degree um really really cool um yeah so that that is kind of the the summary of my university experience um and uh, oh, at the same time, I found my love for teaching and tutoring um, because uh, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of money. Uh, had, to, <laughs> had to pay rent, and and so I tried Subway for a little while, um, making sandwiches. Uh, so I got to do. I got to become an artist. <laughs> I was gonna say because they're called the Subway artist, like sandwich, sandwich artist. <laughs> sandwich artist. So my dreams came true for a small while. Not quite, and um, uh, yeah, got sick of that, um, and then uh, found this amazing thing called tutoring, uh, which I guess uh, I was I was lucky that I I was able to do quite well in the first year subjects, so that I could because they um, have like a minimum grade level to be able to tutor for subjects. So like it <laughs> it shouldn't matter at all. Um, like good teaching is hard to find. Yep. <laughs> And, um, and so, yeah, I, I managed to be accepted to tutor some of the first year maths and engineering courses. And then I kept kind of, uh, even the courses that I did terribly and I managed to get the gig tutoring because I had past experience tutoring other courses. Um, and I enjoyed that so much and it plays a big part in, in kind of the parts of tech, uh, that I love today. Um, but yeah, so that was a big part of my life as well. It was was teaching maths and teaching pro, uh, programming and teaching. I think those were the two main ones and, and a little bit of kind of electrical engineering as well um, that I really, really enjoyed and paid so well, but was marking was terrible. I hated marking so much. We all hated marking so much. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, and the reason why I mentioned tutoring is because after I finished university... Again, I had no idea what to do in my life, so <laughs> um, I kind of hung around like a bad, bad smell at UQ. Uh, at this point, I'd gotten a bunch of uh, tutoring experience. I was lead tutor for a few subjects, um, and uh, I had a really, really awesome maths professor that um, I, I've tutored with a lot since, since I first started tutoring, and uh, she asked me if I could help to convert. So... Sorry, I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, have you heard of MATLAB? I'm guessing you yes. have. <laughs> I mean, yes. So it's, yeah. 
very much an industry for, thing. Or not industry thing, sorry. Just a very college academic thing more so than industry. But yeah. Yeah, super expensive. Um, <laughs> so yeah, for, for, for your listeners, um, MATLAB is a very expensive version of kind of R. Has it, MATLAB was quite widely used in engineering and it was really useful for kind of um, designing systems and testing uh, electrical and mechanical systems. Um it had a lot of, it was awful to use but it had a lot of good plugins that were really handy um and it had its own programming language and would you believe that matlab is one of the few that starts indexes from one and <laughs> not zero <laughs> which yeah i don't know it just makes no sense <laughs> i mean I, did, I feel like that's one of the only things i do remember from that one module we had to use it in college and i was like no <laughs> Yeah, um, I think the reason for it, if I remember, is is because it works around matrices and in math, I think if you have a matrix that you index from one when you refer to elements yes. in a matrix, that's the oh, square yeah. grid of numbers that were really painful to do on paper. <laughs> <laughs> matrix mathematics is... Uh, that's why we have computers, right? So <laughs> It's like memories unlocked <laughs> that I never needed again, but yes. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Um, and so I was in love with MATLAB and I was in love with the language and people were like, what is wrong with you? Um, so, but I really, really enjoyed teaching MATLAB. And, um, so after I finished my degree, uh, I stayed on tutoring and working as a lead tutor for MATLAB, uh, which was teaching programming. Um, and the maths professor, uh, asked me and another guy to turn the MATLAB tutorials which were originally on paper so programming printed out on paper yep. <laughs> you type it into MATLAB get the get the output write the output and your code onto the paper by hand and then hand it into the tutor um I mean it was a while ago this was like uh when was this, this was like 2012 2013 um and uh, so the professor asked if me and Sally good dude could turn this paper tutorial into an online quiz, which made so much sense. Um, and it's funny that it became kind of like the analogy of, uh, when I, when I moved into consulting at my first job, um, that it's about helping companies move away from paper and into the digital space, right? <laughs> and that's what a lot of companies have been doing, um, over the last couple of decades. And... Um, and that was my kind of taster. I had never had a good, um, feeling about programming. I absolutely hated it during university. Like Python was the first language I did. And, uh, like the, the Python works with white space, like indentations and stuff. And I just completely just, it was, it was a nightmare to work with. I kept getting it wrong. I tried to make a tic-tac-toe game. Like I kept stuffing it up. I kept getting the white space wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, I hate this so much. I never want to be a software engineer. This is the worst. Um, and uh, so I had a bad taste for programming in my mouth because um, I wasn't doing it anything for anything. Do wasn't doing it for anything that was actually useful to people. Um, and in making this quiz online, it was actually something that was useful to someone. And me and this other guy wrote it in PHP um, off it, based off an existing system that they already had. I'm pretty sure we probably left security holes in it where students could change their grade if they wanted to, if they could work out how to like get into get into the app and change their grades because it wrote directly to their grades. Um, 
I mean, if they can do that, I feel like they deserve the grade they've put themselves into. I'm like, fair play. Like, right? we've done enough. Like, that's grand. <laughs> um, and I just enjoyed, uh, really, really enjoyed that. I was frustrated and it was awful. And it was, it was really, really painful because I was, like, learning how to make um, proper apps at the same time as, like, past Hello World apps, like, at the same time as, like, um, learning a new language and, 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 trying to teach as well so um but i had fun with it i like put in we put in a whole bunch of easter eggs there was like dinosaurs that would pop up depending on if you got the right answer there was the konami code <laughs> it was in there somewhere <laughs> and um and little in jokes between shooters as well <laughs> put those ones in there um i think there was like a sheep with a ponytail i don't know it, it got really random at some point and um and that was that was my taste to to kind of software engineering and building web apps um i built websites before when i was a teenager um in like myspace and not myspace sorry geocities um yep was kind of yeah uh while geocities was around um made like a really really crappy website and (laughs) and then was done with that um and then myspace came and learned a bunch of css for that and then uh, and then kind of stopped there, didn't really touch it after that. So um, seven years later, I'm back into web dev again accidentally and didn't use anything from my actual degree for a long time. <laughs> um, so yeah, that I spent a year doing that after university, trying to work out what I wanted to do. Um, kind of hung out with folks uh, that I had gone through uni with. They were doing random things. Some of them actually found jobs in robotics. Um, they had to leave the country because there was not many jobs in robotics in the country say, unless you wanted yeah. to go to the mines. <laughs> um, and uh, and a lot of them got into software and all doing kind of similar things, trying to work out what they wanted to do. Um, I had the amazing opportunity to, um, I got a scholarship to go visit Silicon Valley for 10 days um, with a, um, uh, the, 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 the um, thing was called Startup Catalyst, run by, and it was created by Steve Baxter. Don't know if you know, he was on Shark Tank. He's like an entrepreneur. Um, I think he basically like installed the <laughs> installed. I'm not going to lie. I'm 99% sure someone else from Brisbane who's been on the podcast has done this exact same thing. Oh, really? I was like, why does it sound so familiar? Pretty sure, like, because I know she said yeah. she went to Silicon Valley and there's something along those lines of, like, the names sound very familiar. So I'm like, I'm going to have to go back and check to make sure if it was or wasn't. But very familiar, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's so funny. Such a small world, isn't it? Very um, small, especially in tech. I'm like, this makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the gist of it was we went over to Silicon Valley and the point of the tour was so that we didn't leave Australia for Silicon Valley because we thought it was like this like Magical godly <laughs> place that we put it on a pedestal. Like you had to go to Silicon Valley to kind of make it in startups and in tech. Um, and I think it largely it largely achieved its goal. Um, I mean, I stayed in Brisbane. <laughs> I stayed in Australia, but I also kind of moved away from startups completely. So, um, But I was entertaining the idea at the time and, and was kind of um, building like a little robot to teach programming for kids with a with a friend in uni, and then um, I think his dad wanted to sponsor us, and we were like, "Oh, well, I was like, oh, people want to give us real money? Nope, 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 
<laughs> too real, I'm too real. <laughs> um, and I was a little bit in it over my head um, at the time as well. As I said, like, I didn't do very well at uni. I didn't remember a whole lot of the electronic side of things. It was really hard. Um, so, so I was, I was uh, really struggling with that kind of dealing with that imposter syndrome at the same time. It was, it's not even imposter syndrome. It was just facts. Like I didn't, I didn't study that well for it. So I was like trying to build this electronics thing and going, ah, <laughs> I don't actually know what I'm doing. I have to keep doing it really slowly. I'll work it out eventually, but I would have to do it very slowly and yeah. and Google a bunch of things that I'd completely forgotten because I didn't bother to understand it properly. Um, so after that, I, um, I joined a company called ThoughtWorks, which is a global consultancy uh, that specializes in helping companies make software. So that's where the consulting <laughs> bit come in. So like... Oh my god, yeah, jeez. So especially the degree, just so much in there that it was like there was so much happening that it makes sense. It's like, oh lord, a whole new sector of like sector section. Of yeah. God, words are really hard today, apparently. <laughs> they are. But yes, yeah, so, so consulting is happening, and this is kind of all after everything. So you're kind of done with UQ, like the university part. Are we fully done with? Um, yeah, like you're fi- like you finally walked away. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yes, actually. And I was doing kind of casual work teaching kids. Oh, now that I remember, gosh, <laughs> this probably happens a lot. Um, it's I such was, a thing um, where like, people will forget busy. very quickly um, of like what they've done and yeah. haven't done. It's, it is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it probably wasn't in that, in that gap year, but in the kind of last few years through uni, I was like teaching kids programming after school because I really enjoyed tutoring. Um, and I was also uh, working in a research lab um, casually with a professor of mine, again, a different one. <laughs> he started his own research lab, it was really cool. Um, and I had no idea, like, this is like kind of the introduction into the professional world, right? I had no idea like what the etiquette was. I was just kind of like fumbling around and, and they were really nice to me and they were like, oh, just come in and like do your thing. Um, and uh so there were a few of these things kind of going on in the background as well and then that that kind of all led up to uh yeah finding um uh finding the job at thoughtworks and that all had to come to an end because that was a that was a full-time job um so yeah uh consulting (laughs) so i joined thoughtworks as a grad um and my programming skills were still not great, uh, <laughs> but they didn't care about that. Um, the ThoughtWorks grad program was about, well, you had to have some, you had to have some experience. Um, and luckily I had some kind of real world experience in terms of programming um, rather than um, university level experience. And um, so they had an awesome grad program. Uh, they sent us overseas to, to meet up with other grads from around the world for five weeks. And kind of trained us to consult, trained us to write software, and it was really, really awesome. They taught us. Uh, they didn't really. T- they couldn't teach us all of this in five weeks, but they they exposed us to like uh, how to give talks, how to give presentations, how to pair program, um, and then ran us through a fake app, a fake product with fake product owners and these all thought workers that like would wear hats saying product owner on top, <laughs> and they come in and then. <laughs> but they're actually our teachers as well. It was really confusing. <laughs> Um, and uh, they come in and play like the 
biggest nightmare product owner that or stakeholder that you've ever worked with and yep. um, they, they'd uh, draw that from their experience with real clients uh, it was really really funny probably with a bit of exaggeration but um, really really cool experience um, and then after that came back to Brisbane to kind of start off as a uh, continue on as a grad and learn from learn from folks um, by shadowing with them on clients, following them on clients, um, watching and working with them and learning what they do. Um, and, and yeah, so, um, that was, that was kind of the beginnings in my introduction to consulting, which is a whole nother, whole nother, uh, set of skills that I never thought that I didn't know existed. Yeah. My high school self didn't know that was a thing that existed. Um, probably my uni self didn't know it was a thing that existed because it's too busy partying to worry about what the real world would be like. And um, and yeah, just the just the kind of shift of emphasis from solving technology technology sorry solving problems with technology for the sake of technology to solving problems because it's about people and and uh, the solution is is uh, the technology part of the solution is really not very important. It's about like managing the people, not only the customers at the at the uh, end at the um, uh, uh, user facing side of the product, but also all the people involved in making the product and all in <laughs> the company and and everything else as well. Um, and knowing the right questions to ask and and uh, making sure that you get all of the information out because if you miss something, you <laughs> you will pay, um, pay dearly. So um, uh, sometimes less, less, not as dearly as, as other times, depending on, depending on how, how stressful the client is and how stressful the project is, but it's all, anyway, I've made it sound like a really, really scary place. It's not that bad. It's really good. And it's full of good people, um, as you know, having, having worked in consulting. <laughs> It's actually really funny that you've talked about how scary it can be because a friend quite literally this morning before we recorded, she was just mentioning in general, she's like, oh, you want to try and do something scary? Like, what do you mean? Um, alligator hunting or consulting? Like essentially the same difference. <laughs> it's just like, that is sad, but true. <laughs> yeah, alligator hunting, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> like managing al that alligators or, I mean, maybe not hunting, did I mean? Maybe just managing them. That's that's not good. Man, yeah, managing They're alligators well. would be. <laughs> um, yeah, just hanging around alligators seems like at least terrifying. Um, yeah. So yes, that is a uh, sensible comparison. I have to say. <laughs> I think it lined up pretty well for what it was, but anyway. Yeah. So ThoughtWorks is going pretty well. Um, what is what's happening next where where is it going like did you just stay there for a while what was kind of on the precipice of happening yeah so thoughtworks um amazing people i stayed there for three three and a little bit years and um and over that time i um there's like so uh for those who haven't in consulting there's like you can do really short stints or you can do really long stints short stints be like a couple of days or a week and long stints like a couple of months um and uh so i ended up on a few quite long projects that would be from like six months to, to nine months uh which um was good and bad um 
but the the cool thing is getting uh, seeing how um, decisions on products and projects impact kind of down the line um, where and any technical decisions that you make as well which was which was really really um, learning learning so much um, all at once and um, and also learning learning how to learn things very quickly, as I'm sure you've probably covered in the past as well. And, and it's a very um, like just with your being story. able to learn is just the biggest skill to have, I yeah. think. And like knowing how you learn, oh my god, just figuring that one little piece out, and you're like, you've made it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And knowing knowing how to Google and and uh, knowing when to actually read the documentation. <laughs> Very important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of just trying to like look for a Stack Overflow answer and, and copy pasting copy paste. it. In. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know all that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would be, and um, very fortunate to kind of travel around to clients as well. I would be on the plane reading um, a book on the programming language that I was about to encounter at this client on the plane. Literally, I'm landing on the morning that I'm starting on the client and, um, and, and, uh, you find as yeah, after the first or second, after the first couple of languages, uh, I don't want to sound like, <laughs> like humble brag or anything, but after you're exposed to a few languages, they all kind of start to start to feel the same and, and yep. look the same and, and smell the same. And, um, and, but, but learning how to like transfer the stuff that you've learned from one language to it, to another, um, and, and not just languages, but concepts and principles and, and kind of, um, uh, projects as well, like learning what you can transfer and what is different, is was a really, really um, awesome skill that ThoughtWorks taught taught quite well. Um, and so that was that was kind of one of my one of my big takeaways from from ThoughtWorks was learning things really quickly and kind of um, being able to transfer transfer things that you learn to to and apply them to different situations. Um, what I wish I had uh, spent more time on. And the reason for this is because I got into got into community community stuff really early on and got distracted by shiny things. Um, is I wish I'd spent more time getting deeper knowledge in one language and kind of one um, one tech stack, so that um, I was able to be able to to solve problems in in one particular stack very very comfortably before kind of. Uh, having to learn a whole bunch of different ones at the same time and like trying to learn the concepts as well as the language and the tech stack at the same time. Um, so I started off with Java. I'd learned a little bit of it in uni, learned a bunch of it in um, the grad training program uh, that ThoughtWorks ran and then, and then learned a lot of it on the go, but then switched like to, um, and very, very privileged and lucky to be exposed to all of these and having the, being given the, the rope to kind of learn as I go. Uh, but Gosh, it was freaking stressful. <laughs> so I spent a lot of extra hours on weekends and nights, like just catching up and learning things before I had to had to go onto the client and uh, and and pretend I knew what I was talking about, or at least be able <laughs> <Yep>. to <laughs> be able to fake it. Um, 
so that the client didn't think that we were ridiculous and I probably shouldn't say this out loud but um but like again the, the concepts the concepts transferred across like the language just really didn't matter and the text stack really didn't matter it was it was the problem solving and the um, software engineering practices that transferred over um, and then learning the syntax was something that maybe slowed us down a little bit but yeah yeah um, I mean you're paying for so that's, that's like I mean most people understand that especially with like consulting I think where it's like yeah <laughs> these are people who can learn very quickly and they'll figure it out and that's what you're paying for like you're getting a solution doesn't matter how it'll get there and who'll get it to you <laughs> yeah 100% <laughs> yeah so um yeah that's that that was kind of the summary of of um thoughtworks so i mentioned i um got into community stuff at that time um i was voluntold to do it so i had some fantastic mentors um and uh, I know we talk a lot about in kind of the diversity space of the importance of getting a mentor and stuff. And, and um, I never really had like a very official mentor, but all throughout ThoughtWorks, there were just people around who had more experience in different things and just were so generous with their time. Um, and so I'd hop around between different mentors, probably every new client or every new project I've had different people to work with, um, which is also a really cool part of the job. And, um, and these, uh, one of my mentors was, uh, starting up women who code <laughs> in, in Queensland. She was originally from Melbourne and I think she saw the group in Melbourne, which funnily enough, <laughs> you are running now. <laughs> yep. This is just like the smallest world when I call the writer because I got involved because my mentor was the one creating the work here. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, it's why have we done this sooner? Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, she was a traveling consultant from Melbourne. Um, she was like, let's start this group in Brisbane. I need help. What are you doing? You do it with me. Um, I was like, oh, okay. What is this? What is this idea? What is a meetup? What is a community? Like, Whoa. and then uh, <laughs> I was still running it six years later. <laughs> um, and uh, finally, finally handed it over to, to some amazing folks in Brisbane now. Um, Rachel, Rachel Goodenough and the team who ran Women Who Code Melbourne with you and then moved up yep. to Brisbane. Um, hi, Rach, you're amazing. Um, <laughs> And, and, uh, yeah, so it's still going strong and, and fantastic, um, fantastic meetup. So yes, that was, that was part of the, part of the ThoughtWorks journey. Um, also got roped into running like ThoughtWorks community stuff and, uh, which I loved cause I loved the teaching part of it. I loved the coaching. I loved the helping people to grow. Um, and that would have been from, um, all related to all from my tutoring days. I think, um, I just really, really enjoyed seeing people learn stuff. Um, and yeah, I got roped into running a few other meetups as well. So I ran CTO school for a little while. Um, and unfortunately because of COVID, <laughs> we kind of just left it. Um, yep. uh, but it was a really cool way to get kind of leadership in Brisbane to, to get together and talk about tech leadership. Um, it wasn't women focused. Um, so it was, uh, pretty skewed towards, towards men, but that's okay. <laughs> um, uh that, that it is what it is and we talked i made sure we talked about diversity a lot <laughs> that is all so, i think it's like yeah. it's one of those things with community stuff i think um whatever about finding a mentor find a mentor that will but won't tell won't told 
I'm trying to think of the Volat- past. Volatel, yeah, I think that's what. It just sounds so weird when it's like in the present. You're like, uh, what? Like, well, I'm told someone. That makes sense. But find someone who'll do that. Like, who will kind of push you, comfort. Like, I mean, out of your comfort zone, but will comfortably push you into things and support you to do that. Like, don't just like just throw someone off the cliff and like leave them to die in there. But um, actually pull you along and kind of get you going through these. Cause, like, there's no other real way to fully get into these kind of things. I think other than like, no, 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 no. It's fine. It's like the easiest thing on earth. Just show up. That's essentially all you have to do for most of yeah. them. <laughs> Pretty much. But no one says that because it doesn't like look that easy. <laughs> maybe do a slide deck. <laughs> if you're feeling fancy that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because like um, a lot of the community stuff is very, very straightforward and very simple. And honestly, 95% of it is just showing up. And People don't see it like that because on the, on the surface, it doesn't look like that. And the amount of, I mean, honestly, I'd kind of put my whole career down to it. Like as in the amount of things I've gotten to be able to do or been able to go and do is because I was somehow kind of gotten into involved in the community and it's paid off in spades. <laughs> like I've gotten yeah. to do so many cool things because of it. But yeah, God, cannot shout enough praises about it. I don't think we've talked about that in a while on the podcast. So this is great. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Like running, running, running a group, and and um, the skills that you learn from that, and and kind of, um, and I don't know if the consulting skills helped or the other way around, um, and just being able to like adapt and wing it when things go wrong, and and um, and just the people you meet is amazing. Um, but I wonder if, uh, and, and just to, uh, throw a curveball, I wonder if anyone's asked you this is if, um, so people like you and me say, oh, meetups, they're amazing. Like you should try and organize one if you can and stuff like that, but not everyone can organize a meetup. So I want to, want to ask you what your thoughts are and, and mine as well, because as someone who's run a bunch of meetups before, I don't have the, the kind of other side of it, but I think it's totally fine to not do it as well and like focus on other stuff and just attend and just enjoy, get the same, oh. you get the same benefit <laughs> with less of the work. <laughs> and I think, oh, this is like such a, it's a very important point, I think. And a lot of it is because I remember Mitch Stockdale, so he, and I worked at Redify when we when I started. Like he was kind of like my mentor, or like my it like started off as a buddy, but also was like the two of us were just constantly on projects together because like he was just a little bit ahead of me, and so like we kind of got thrown into a lot of things together. Oh, like fabulous work person to have, honestly. Um, and he like was very much he's just like, I remember having these conversations with him. He's like, I do my job, and then. I finish my job at five o'clock. <laughs> like that's that. And if you, I mean, the other end, you do what? Community, you know, I'm like, what? What is this? How to, what? Um, but it's so interesting because the community thing, it's great. Like it does so much for you, but it is essentially a part-time job and the other end of things. Like that is what that is. Like it is commitment. It takes time to, whether you're attending or organizing, like either way, it's taken up time outside of work hours. And yeah, a lot, like, and his point stands true, I think, of what you do outside of those work hours shouldn't impact what your work life is or things like that. And it makes sense, right? I mean, like, my, seven, my eight hours of work should stand alone for what it is and I should be able to just be as good as, just as good as anyone else. Um, and I agree with that and I think it's so important that that's true. Um, but then I also look at the other end of what the community actually provides is 
for people from untraditional pathways and giving them a space where they feel like they're welcome and that they can make it into the thing. And I think it's just such a like, to, like it's there's so like, there's no like right or wrong answer in this. I think because of that part yeah. of it depends on the person. And um, and if you don't have the space for it and you don't have the time for it, I don't think it should be held against you. And if they are holding that against you, I don't know if that's if that that's a big big red flag right there. Like yeah. oh you don't you don't do this what um. But yeah, it's one of those things. But also the other end of things is, um, and this comes up, and this is related to diversity, I think. At work, you'll see this a lot if, I mean, not always, but like if you're a woman, you're kind of expected to be the spokesperson for all women in tech stuff. Kind of as a just, yep, okay, you exist and you have talked about this once, great, you'll talk about it for the rest of your life for the company. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. The onus shouldn't be on the... Pre- like, I mean, don't, I like talking about this. I'm happy to do it. But the onus shouldn't be a kind of a mandatory thing of, oh, you've done this once you are now in this position. Just because you've run one meetup group or you've done some work, you shouldn't be forced into kind of that pigeonhole of, no, you'll do all the other things for us too. Um, so yeah, there's yeah. so many like different nuances I think about this where I'm like, oh, what does and doesn't work? Yeah. I don't know. What works for you works. And I think that's more than enough. I think usually in these scenarios. <laughs> That was such a tangent. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I could talk forever on, like, yeah, putting, asking the person, like, it's, it's, even though it shouldn't be, it ultimately is up to the person affected to spend the energy and and it's, it shouldn't be this way, but it ends up being this way more often than not as a person who is affected spends the energy to educate, raise awareness and and as it if needs they're to not soon. already exhausted by the constant thought and like things that go into being a person in that place in the first place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the great thing is all these stories are coming out now, so there's there's no excuse to <laughs> just point them to these blog posts and like here are all the things that people did wrong and how you should do them now. Um, just just pay people <laughs> and. <laughs> um, and yes, but I, I don't say, I don't, yeah, I don't talk about a lot of that stuff very eloquently. There are a lot of other people that, that do it very well. So I tend to kind of avoid being a um, representative of that topic. So yeah, women in tech and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, I just can't put the words together very well. So I kind of tend and to I avoid it now. <laughs> which is completely fair. And I think that's, isn't that the thing of like, you support it and that's great and I think the onus shouldn't be on you to have to constantly raise it okay even if you've raised it it shouldn't be on you to continue that conversation like yeah. there should be other people having to step into that role because it's exhausting <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um that being said in the women's space yeah I don't avoid that but in the accessibility space let's go <laughs> That's a whole other story. I've spent a long time putting together the material on that stuff, so I should probably be okay at talking about it. Just talking about uh, that, actually. So ThoughtWorks is wrapped up. Is What what kind of came next? Where did the accessibility stuff kind of start taking place, I guess? Yeah. Um, so it did start at ThoughtWorks. Uh, sorry to rewind back to ThoughtWorks again. Um and they gave they they gave people the the um, time to, to work on community stuff, which which was really good, as long as it didn't affect your client stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of companies do do that, so that's great. So if your company that doesn't do that, please please give people please invest in the community by giving people time to do community stuff. 
in work hours. Thank you. Um, and um, so my first client at ThoughtWorks um, was a public website for a food company. And I won't say who, and um, they, they can probably work it out because I usually say who it is. Um, but um, they got ThoughtWorks in to build the, rebuild the public website. And they, one of the criteria was to make it accessible and to meet the accessibility standards called um, WCAG 2.0 AA. That was the name of the standard. Um, for folks who are not familiar with, WCAG stands for, uh, or WCAG stands for Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. And it's, um, and it is a set of standards, but actually are more like guidelines <laughs> because they're called guidelines. I'm just talking now. And, um, and they're a set of, uh, rules to follow that will hopefully help you make your um, website accessible to people with disabilities um, or app or game or whatnot and um, and these standards have been around for a very very long time um, but even though I was growing up with my dad who was um, uh, slowly developing a more severe more and more severe disability um, I wasn't aware of firstly the concept of accessibility as a thing um, until I got to got to this client and then um, also uh, around all the stuff around web accessibility like the, the um, web content accessibility guidelines which um, are used to kind of uh, also uh, as part of legislation for government websites they have to be able to pass all these guidelines um, to, to uh, legally kind of have their website in production and available to the public. They have to make sure they don't discriminate against people with disabilities. Um, so, gosh, I wish I explained that better. <laughs> no, I Words are not happening sense. today. It's all good. I think um, that makes sense. Yeah. So if, um, it's to, to kind of uh, link it back to something maybe folks are more familiar with. It's, it's um, when you build like a shopping center or like a road or in town planning, you need a design to make sure that there are wheelchair ramps, elevators, braille signs, um, those uh, dotted tiles that you see at crossings and, and um, things like that. There are a whole bunch of like written out guidelines and, and um, standards that you have to meet for buildings. It's the same thing, but for the web. Um, uh, there are various things that, that make sure that websites are accessible to, to folks who use different tools, different assistive technologies to access their computers and to access websites and, and such. Um, so yes, that it was at the start of ThoughtWorks as well that I kind of was introduced to that to topic and made the connection that, oh, it's so heavily related to my dad being able to use and access websites on the internet and why he's been really struggling for the last few years because uh, the web is largely not accessible. <laughs> um, uh, the web grew so quickly at this point, I think, um, I don't know when kind of jQuery started to become popular, the um, JavaScript framework before like React and Vue and Angular and stuff. Um, but as jQuery, um, for reasons I won't get into, if you're not familiar with web development, um, just move stuff around the page and change things on the page where uh, assistive technologies like screen readers expect this page to kind of stay static 
um, like in the like in the early days where it was just fan pages of bands and stuff, and it's like a picture and a couple of Times New Roman, um, like a list of songs, and like you could play the songs, and there was like textured backgrounds, and there was a cat following your pointer and stuff like that. Um, the web was more accessible back then um, than it is now. Uh, and the reason for that is, is yeah, web development has and, and tech in general has evolved so quickly and it's, um, and it's evolved at such a scale and such a rate that we've kind of uh, let a few balls drop along the way and accessibility is one of them. Probably security was one of them as well. Um, but we picked pick that one back up pretty quickly because that, that had um, uh, pretty dire consequences. Uh, if you didn't do the security bit right. Um, and the reason why I think we picked security up more quickly than accessibility is because, like, hackers are cool. <laughs> and it was in pop culture. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's just my that's just my wild guess. But um, And also getting into, like, infosec and security became really trendy over the last decade or so. Um, and so that, that whole field of um, software development and web development uh, managed to kind of drop the ball but then pick it back up um, and there's lots of good tools out there and lots of good practices out there now um, and I'm really hoping for the same thing to happen in web accessibility or just digital accessibility in general which slowly slowly it is over the last five years there's been a lot of awareness um, uh, among like designers and developers and a lot of other groups as well so uh, very very happy to see that progress um, we just got to find out a way to make it cool. It is cool, but make it cool I for think everyone. <laughs> I think it's definitely getting, like, I definitely have noticed an uptick specifically coming through. Um, at least I guess it may be in, it's a bit more biased towards the AI end of things where it's become the cool thing to be able to like build something that's accessible or like something that helps accessibility, which I mean, yeah, it's annoying that it needs to be a cool thing to be accepted, like to be a thing, but I'm like... I'll take it. <laughs> Anything at this stage, I'll take it. Because, um, like, I mean, I definitely, like, pay so much more attention to it now than I ever probably did. Or, like, even just if we're running a conference to make sure you do kind of a, this is who I am, this is what I look like, to describe it to the person who might be listening and that there might be captions, but they don't cover exactly what's happening on the screen. So, it's, yeah, it's really interesting um, how small these things are. Like, it takes 10 seconds out of my day to do it. But to even remember how to do, like, it's just so not commonplace and it makes such a big difference to someone else listening. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's getting there. <laughs> a bit more than it <laughs> yeah, did at least from before I started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, so uh, after that client, I learned a lot. Of, I did it so wrong. So I had to learn about it um, and learning about, like, how to build HTML for accessibility. There's this thing called ARIA. Um, so there's a bunch of tags you can add in HTML to make it accessible to like different technologies like a screen reader or, or whatnot. Um, and uh, it was so inaccessible. <laughs> I just put ARIA tags everywhere um, and and uh, we fixed it thankfully but it, it is kind of um, one of the first mistakes a lot of people who have been software developers for a while learn about this thing accessibility and then try to try to implement it kind of in a based off the theory and then and make a whole lot of mistakes there is there is and that's totally okay and there is quite a bit of a learning curve um but keep at it and it's amazing and you're amazing so <laughs> um 
so that and I want to share that because I think a lot of developers kind of see the folks who are in the accessibility community and who specialize in accessibility like we messed it up so bad at the start and we're all at different points in our journey as well so please please don't feel like it's um, it's a scary thing it's a little bit scary but it's but you know we're all still learning and it's just a matter of practice and learning and and um, and it's just really really important um, so after that I um, did a deep dive and spent a lot of time learning about accessibility and accessible web development practices um, and I would do brown bags or lunch and learns or kind of just the talks um, at various clients and inside of ThoughtWorks as well and that was the beginning of like this thing that I'm, I'm known for I guess um, <laughs> is is spreading the awareness I like you can't teach accessibility in, in an hour session or an hour workshop but you can certainly show like talk about disability talk about all the all the problems that it solves and, and what it looks like when something's inaccessible and how that affects people because um, ultimately it is about people so um, that that was the start of that and then after ThoughtWorks uh, I joined a bunch of product companies um, at various different levels some of them were startups some of them were just small businesses um, and I also uh, worked as an independent contractor for some companies as well um, and uh, I found I couldn't really work anywhere full-time I think I still had the kind of consultant bug um, and uh, so I didn't I didn't stay very long at, at many companies I usually stayed around a year and then kind of moved on to the next thing um, and uh, the the kind of underlying stream along the way was it was it would always be about learning more about accessibility and and sharing sharing my knowledge of accessibility wherever I was um, and I found I couldn't introduce the culture of accessibility the way that I wanted to into the companies that I worked full-time at uh, so I decided to to go independent so that I could introduce accessibility the way that I wanted to into my own work um, and uh, the client didn't really get a say <laughs> apart from deciding whether or not they wanted me to build the thing I said if I build the thing you get accessibility like it or not like um, and to the best of my abilities anyway um, and uh, and another um, as well as being kind of like a, a full stack developer for hire um, in the last year or so I started um, consulting and kind of coaching in accessibility um, and I really really enjoyed that as well as kind of being someone that um, a team who understands the theory of accessibility has learned it a bit in the past um, and just wanted someone to kind of with more experience to kind of check their homework with um, and, yep. and uh, so I really really enjoyed doing that um, and, and also giving kind of talks and kind of an introduction to accessibility at a few places as well um, has been uh, the kind of mix that I've had going on over the last year or so um, in terms of my current uh, job status. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I think what, what really jumps out is like, I mean, obviously accessibility has clearly been a big part of your life like from the start, right? But to kind of accidentally still somehow fall into it are like oh wait no 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 this is it like this is the light bulb moment kind of going off and this is exactly what's going to happen it's it's so interesting um kind of how it all kind of like finally found its way around i guess a little bit but also 
oh, I think, I mean, I touched on this like right at the start where I talked about you being a freelancer and like wanting to talk about like how you actually finally took the... Yeah. And is there a better answer than, well, they wouldn't let me do it. So I just forced it into everything I built and I could do that because <laughs> I worked for myself. Like so much better of an answer than like, I mean, than anything else that could exist out there. Um... Hmm, yes. Uh, <laughs> I just want to go back to, um, I don't want to say that they wouldn't let me do it. I think I wasn't professionally ready to yeah. introduce it to that company in the way that I wanted to. Um, so that's a little bit of, I guess, a part of my, my journey as well is um, I want to kind of really hone my hone my craft this time. Uh, this time, <laughs> unlike last time, um, be, and and take my time before I kind of move on to, uh, uh, like, influencing at a company wide at a higher, uh, at a higher level, especially at larger size companies that that I was at at the time, um, and and so, um, yeah, that was. That was a, that was yeah. Honing my craft is a big part of it, and being being kind of selective with the clients as well. Um, and I think a lot of the questions I do get now that I am freelancing, I actually don't talk to that many people about it. But <laughs> um, um, uh, a few questions that I've gotten is is yeah, like how do you find the clients? How do you manage the work? And this is um, and you would know this. I'm sure this is coming back to like community and knowing people and and, yeah. and organizing. If I if I wasn't an organizer for a group or if I wasn't involved in uh, tech lead ladies, I wouldn't gotten half the work that I have now. Um, and the same with knowing people uh, before I joined um, this community group, the my mentors and and um, peers from before. Um, have helped like they they might advertise on linkedin or or they might uh, repost someone else's advertisement on linkedin that they're looking for someone with a particular skill set to do a project and and or they do the introduction for me and that has been really really helpful um i have been really really lucky that um my flow of work has been quite steady because uh, lovely companies have kind of kept um kept me going long term uh, which seems to be a trend in my <laughs> in my career like I just want a three-week project dang it uh, <laughs> but no um and uh and yeah just just getting those opportunities um and I know a lot of freelancers do have that kind of uh when it when it rains it pours and when it when it's when it's dries is completely dried up and it's very very stressful um though not a great analogy to use right now because of brisbane's <laughs> flooding situation and all that but sorry brisbane um, um and uh yeah but who knows what might happen in the future um but at the moment i'm very lucky i guess i'm kind of in a bit of a flood situation right now i've said yes to a few too many things that i probably shouldn't have said yes to but that's okay <laughs> Managing, managing all of that. Yeah. I love it. But I think, I mean, and this is kind of, I guess this like ties a little bit back into that point of the community is kind of what you make of it and what you need from it at that point in time, right? If this is like, this is part of your livelihood, like community is just a part of your life and and your job and stuff at this stage. It's completely different too. 
hey, I do my nine to five job. I'm kicking along great at it. Do I need this? Maybe you don't. This is completely fine as it is. But something I wanted to raise, because um, you just mentioned the community thing, was when I, I can't remember it was, I can't remember why or how I ended up joining one of the first few Women Who Code Brisbane's. Um, and what you do in the Brisbane ones, and oh my God, I, we saw it. We do it at Melbourne now. Like I fully, we fully stole this from you and we're so thankful. Um, was when you, at the start, you're like, okay, this is a space. If you're looking for a job or if you are looking to hire, off you go. Like talk about it, just mention it. Even if you're like, hey, I am a student who's kind of into this kind of stuff. If you see something, keep an eye out. And oh my God, it's the nicest thing we've ever done easily. Like it's just such a nice place to be in, to be able to be like, hey, sharing this. And people will end up catching up in comments and like you'll see it happening on LinkedIn afterwards. And it's just, it makes me very happy. But um, it just links up. But yeah, thank you. That is, that is, uh, you're welcome. That, that is so good to hear. We didn't add the, I'm looking for a job bit. So you would have added that yourself. And that oh, is, that is really cool. We should steal that back. I'll tell Rach to steal that bit back. There um, you go. <laughs> um, which actually does remind me, we should probably wrap up yeah, there probably, for today. Probably start to wrap up. Yeah. But um, oh, Lauren, like, thank you so much for kind of jumping on. And this is exactly why, I mean, it covered so many of the topics that hey, I'm fully into. Like accessibility is just such an important thing. Whether it's something you're already doing or whether it's just, hey, I hadn't thought about this in a while. I'm glad I got a reminder to think about this today. So this is just, thank you for joining in. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to chat about all of those things. Um, and, and yeah, and thank you for the wonderful work that you do to, to share this with everyone. And, and the, uh, the, the job I'm not jealous of, which is the video editing. <laughs> thank you for yeah. taking all that time. <laughs> I I'm gotten very sick of seeing my own face and listening to myself. I'm not gonna lie, it's painful. But with that, let's not extend this so I don't have to keep looking at myself again later on. We'll wrap it up there for today. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you've still stuck around um, for the whole duration, I'm very glad. Maybe look at donating um, and supporting the podcast and also having a check out with Lorenz's work. Um, she's doing such fabulous work with everything in the community and just accessibility in general. So I'll put all the links um, kind of wherever you've already found the podcast, whether that's the website or all the socials, it will be available to go check it out. And with that, keep safe. I know there's the world war and COVID and the floods. Keep safe out there, but we'll be back in two weeks uh, with another episode of Pats Uncovered.